Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the Revolution of 1848. In the first two parts in the series, I've talked about the background to the various revolutions which happened that year. And in this third part, I talk about the revolutions themselves and how they started. On the 12th of January, 1848, King Ferdinand II of Naples and Sicily celebrated his 38th birthday with public events planned across his kingdom. His subjects, however, were in no mood to celebrate, suffering as they were from hunger and an economic downturn. On the island of Sicily, crowds took to the streets to demonstrate against the government, which was based in the city of Naples who they felt had failed to respond to an exceptionally tough winter. In the city of Palermo, events got particularly out of hand. In great numbers, peasants barricaded the streets, unfurling the Italian tricolour flag and shouting, Long live Italy, the Sicilian constitution and Pius IX. The garrison of the fortress of Castellamare fired upon them to try and dispel the crowds, but the protesters attacked back. Armed with rustic weapons, they braved the grapeshot from the garrison and streamed into the fortress. Some 36 people were killed before the troops withdrew from the city. Within days, the Sicilian countryside was in flames as throughout the island, angry crowds stormed public offices and burned tax records and land registers. Eventually, the only royal troops left on the island were those besieged in the citadel of Messina, in the far east of the island. A general committee was formed among rebels, which included both moderate liberals and more radical democrats, who for now were willing to work together to restore order, to establish a provisional government, and to call for elections. King Ferdinand of Naples sent 5,000 troops on steamboats to Sicily to crush the uprising, but in so doing left the mainland unprotected. 
When news of events in Sicily reached Naples, the citizens there also took to the streets, and throughout the kingdom peasants started to turn on their landlords. Terrified of what might happen next, the Liberals of Naples organised a demonstration of some 25,000 in front of the royal palace. When cavalry trotted out to disperse them, the crowd surged around the horsemen and persuaded them to stand down. Their commander even offered to take a petition to King Ferdinand. Afraid of losing his whole kingdom, the king reluctantly promised to issue a constitution. This led in February to the formation of a moderate liberal government, although the Sicilians remained implacable, demanding full autonomy from Naples. The collapse of the absolute monarchy in the south reverberated northwards up the peninsula. Even before the revolt in Sicily, there had been unrest in Milan. Inspired by the example of the recent Boston Tea Party, on New Year's Day, the Milanese organised a boycott of tobacco, a tax which gave the Viennese treasury a significant portion of its revenue. Scuffles broke out between crowds and the local garrison, which escalated into violence with the killing of six and wounding of 50 civilians. In the Papal States, Pius IX was known to have liberal tendencies. Following his election in 1846, he immediately relaxed censorship, freed all political prisoners and promised to look into political reform. For Italian nationalists, here was a figurehead who could unite all strands of Italian opinion and provide moral leadership for the campaign to free Italy from Austrian domination. But the Pope was taken aback by the scale of the unrest and concerned about demands for rapid, large-scale reform. He tried to placate the masses by declaring a day of prayer for peace in Naples and Sicily, but the impatient protesters filled the Via del Corso with torches ablaze calling for a constitution and liberty. A few days later, rumours that the Austrians were preparing to march south and restore order filled the Piazza del Popolo. The crowd called on the Pope to raise an army and to defend the frontiers. Chastened by the demonstrations, Pius promised to summon a new government in which laymen, as well as ecclesiastics, would serve as ministers. At the same time, Duke Leopold of Tuscany came under pressure and granted a constitution to his duchy, and King Charles Albert of Piedmont also promised the same. This was a seismic shift in Italian politics, for the Savoyard dynasty to abandon its age-old absolutist tradition. The Dukes of Modena and Parma stood firm for now under the protection of the Austrians, while Lombardy and Venetia also experienced unrest. The uprisings of 1848 became more widespread, mostly due to events in Paris that same February. King Louis-Philippe of France had come to power in 1830 in the so-called July Revolution, after his fiercely reactionary cousin, Charles X, was forced to abdicate. The reign of Louis-Philippe was dominated by wealthy industrialists and bankers. He followed conservative policies. He also promoted friendship with Britain and sponsored colonial expansion, notably the French conquest of Algeria. 
However, his popularity faded as economic conditions in France deteriorated in 1847. Only about 1% of the population held the franchise. Even though France had a free press and trial by jury, only landholders were permitted to vote. The king was viewed as generally indifferent to the needs of society, especially to those members of the middle class who were excluded from the political arena. Starting in July 1847, opponents of the regime began holding a series of banquets, mostly in Paris, but also in several other regions of the country. Speeches were made demanding reforms, such as the reduction of the tax threshold for the right to vote, and toasts were raised to national sovereignty and to democratic and parliamentary reform. As the campaign gathered pace, its threat to the regime became clear, and the French government decided to ban further such banquets. The organisers responded by calling for a huge procession to precede the next banquet, in open defiance of the ban. As the protesters marched through the streets, the troops defending the foreign ministry panicked and opened fire, killing more than 80 people. Within a few hours, hundreds of barricades had gone up, and angry citizens began converging on the royal palace. King Louis-Philippe, fearing for his life, abdicated on the 24th of February, in favour of his nine-year-old grandson, Philippe, and fled to England in disguise. Inspired by events in France and Italy, calls for revolutions quickly spread across much of the continent. A large part of the reason for this lay in the vastly improved system of communications that had recently been developed. Although in its infancy, Europe's railway network, together with better roads and steam-powered ships, were able to spread news far more rapidly than before. Improved rates of literacy among the urban industrial workers also helped spread revolutionary ideas. In the city of Mannheim in Germany, huge crowds demonstrated in favour of a petition which demanded freedom of the press, trial by jury, constitutions for all the German states, and crucially, elections to be held for an all-German parliament. As the petition, known as the March Demands, was further printed and distributed across Germany, the rulers of Baden, Württemberg and Hesse-Nassau gave in to demands for a constitution. In the state of Hesse-Darmstadt, the Grand Duke abdicated in favour of his son, rather than yield himself, and in Bavaria, King Ludwig I was reluctantly forced to also grant a constitution when irate crowds stormed the royal armoury, and the situation only settled down when he abdicated in favour of his son, Maximilian II. The King of Prussia, Frederick William IV, in the early years of his reign, had pursued a moderate policy of easing press censorship and reconciling with the Catholic population of the kingdom. But in 1848, he refused to give in to demands for further reform. He sent in an army to disperse a demonstration of workers in Cologne on the 3rd of March and to arrest its ringleaders. 
quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Events now began to move at a dizzying speed as the revolutionary wave reached the Habsburg Empire. As news of the revolution in Paris reached Hungary, the leader of the opposition party in the parliament, Lajos Kossuth, made a fiery speech demanding self-rule for Hungary under a reformed Habsburg monarchy. The speech would have a profound impact. Copies were soon circulating in Vienna and students petitioned the government for liberal reforms. 4,000 protesters marched to the centre of the city, demanding change. In the main square, Bauhausplatz, troops were met with a hail of stones and opened fire. Further fighting broke out and barricades went up around the city. On the 13th of March, the Chancellor, Clemens Metternich, the chief architect of reactionary rule in Europe ever since the Congress of Vienna, gave in and announced his resignation. He left the city the next day and fled to England. In some ways it is remarkable how little resistance Metternich put up. There was no serious attempt to impose martial law. It was as if he, like several others, had lost the will to govern and had fatalistically accepted a revolution was inevitable. The ousting of the Chancellor, perhaps more than any other event, demonstrated the extent of the upheaval. He had succeeded, more or less, in keeping the lid on protest and revolution for more than 30 years. But suddenly, in an explosion of popular rage, governments everywhere buckled under intense pressure. Metternich had been granted virtually free reign to run Austria, because the Habsburg Emperor, Ferdinand I, was incapable of rule himself. In spite of his infirmities, Ferdinand was well loved by his people. Due to his passive but good-intended character, he gained the sobriquet, the benign, or the good. The government in Vienna realised they had to try and appease the crowd somehow. 
and so through the Emperor they announced the abolition of censorship and the convening of a constitutional assembly. At the same time, Vienna was losing control of the situation in other parts of the empire. In Hungary, the local Viceroy, Archduke Stephen, who was known to have Hungarian sympathies, summoned an emergency meeting of the Diet in Pressburg. There it was agreed to demand a separate Hungarian government, with wider representation of the people and full union of Transylvania with Hungary. A delegation, led by Lajos Kossuth, travelled to Vienna and persuaded the government to accept the demands rather than risk the complete independence of Hungary. Hungary was soon made an autonomous constitutional monarchy, with a widened franchise and parliamentary sovereignty, but still with the Habsburg Emperor as monarch. However, the non-Magyar peoples within Hungary objected to direct rule by the Hungarian Diet, an imposition of Magyar as the dominant language. Croats, Slovaks, Serbs and Romanians, fearful their ethnic identity was endangered, put up strong resistance, some demanding independence for themselves. In Transylvania, young Romanian intellectuals organised a national petition, presented to a crowd of 40,000, on the so-called Field of Liberty outside the city of Blage on the 15th to 17th of May, and turned to Vienna for help against the Magyars. Meanwhile, peasants launched a revolt, killing Magyar and German landlords and officials. In response, the Hungarians began to retaliate, shooting Romanian peasants in mass executions and raising 230 villages to the ground. Austrian troops established control gradually, but met heavy resistance from the Hungarian military. Altogether, the number of deaths is estimated at 40,000. The problem revealed with the ideals of national independence was that they were often conflicted with those of neighbouring peoples who had their own interpretation of where borders should lie. All too often, national self-interest invariably won out over any universal principle, resulting in ethnic conflict and the revolutionaries pitted against each other. The Habsburg Empire was now in real trouble, a combination of middle-class discontent, popular desperation, liberal ideologies and revolutionary anger provoked an almost irresistible wave of uprisings that rocked the establishment to its foundations. In the Austrian ruled provinces of northern Italy, the news of Metternich's fall spurred the revolutionaries into action, including in Milan where disorder broke out and barricades went up all over the city. The veteran commander of the Austrian forces in Italy, Marshal Joseph Rodetsky, deployed his troops at key points and stationed snipers on the cathedral spires. In the famous Five Days of Milan, fighting broke out and demonstrators clambered onto rooftops and started firing at the Austrian troops, forcing Rodetsky and his men to withdraw and besiege the city from outside. The Milanese eventually broke Rodetsky's siege in a bloody battle and the Austrians withdrew completely. 
The upheavals also spread to Austrian-ruled Venice. There, a liberal nationalist named Daniel Manin, who had been imprisoned by Austrians for treason the previous year, was released by jubilant crowds. To counter the Austrian forces, who were mostly Croatians, he immediately organised a citizens' militia. They forced the garrison out of the city, and Manin declared a republic. Habsburg flags were torn down and thrown into the canals. The King of Piedmont, Carlo Alberto, was pressured to support the insurgents in Lombardy. He was persuaded because he was keen to incorporate the duchy into a new kingdom of Italy under his rule, and was also afraid of being overthrown if he failed to act. In March he declared war on the Austrian Empire and his troops advanced and won a number of small engagements. In late May, 560,000 Milanese voted for incorporation into Piedmont, with fewer than 700 votes against. A result soon replicated in the duchies of Parma and Modena, where the rulers had also fled. The Habsburgs lost control of their northern Italian territories, and their forces retreated to a good defensive position in the so-called quadrilateral fortresses of Verona, Peschiera, Legnano and Mantua. The people of Piedmont were busy organising plebiscites, persuading voters in Parma and Modena as well as Milan to vote for annexation to their kingdom. However, they began to lose momentum when the Pope, Pius IX, decided that events were running too quickly. Forced to choose between his mildly patriotic feelings for Italy and his obligation as leader of the Catholic Church, he had no hesitation in choosing the latter. Contrary to the hopes of many who urged him to pursue an aggressive war of independence, Pius declared he had no intention of sending troops against Catholic Austria. In addition, King Ferdinand II of Naples withdrew his support for resistance against Austria when it became clear that Piedmont was aiming for expansion. The Piedmontese army took the fortress of Peschiera after a short siege, but Radetzky received substantial reinforcements and counter-attacked. His troops narrowly defeated the Piedmontese at the Battle of Custoza on July 24th and 25th, after which Carlo Alberto lost confidence and retreated all the way back to Milan, and soon after, within the boundaries of his kingdom, and accepted an armistice. The Venetians refused to accept the armistice and carried on fighting. Much still depended on what happened in Vienna, where events had been moving fast since the fall of Metternich. Taxes were lowered, a political amnesty declared, and job creation schemes established as well as the granting of a constitution. As far as the liberal propertied classes were concerned, their political objectives had been achieved. But they began to fear that the political revolution they had initiated might slip out of their control and lead to a more violent social revolution, and they worked with the authorities to try and restore law and order. However, the radical intelligentsia, university students and lower classes of the city felt cheated by what they saw as insufficient reform and betrayal by the new government of continuing acts of repression. This was one of the many examples across Europe where divisions opened up between the liberal moderates and the radicals. On the 15th of May, fierce riots broke out in Vienna, 
led by a militia formed by radicals who demanded universal male suffrage. Fearing for Emperor Ferdinand's safety, the royal family panicked and evacuated him and his wife to Innsbruck. Safely away from the capital, Ferdinand issued a proclamation condemning the actions of the radicals and called for resistance. He ordered the closing of the university and disbanding of the radicals' militia. The violence in Vienna, however, became even worse and barricades were put up at key points of the city. The government forces were unable to reassert control and were forced to give in to the demands of the radicals and return Ferdinand to Vienna. Meanwhile, also Prussia was unable to avoid the political upheavals. King Frederick Wilhelm IV agreed to make concessions but only after a fierce debate among his ministers. He agreed to abolish censorship and promised to call for the Diet to consider reform of the German Confederation, but for many this was not enough. Demonstrators gathered, scuffles broke out, shots were fired and soon barricades were going up all over Berlin. The Prussian troops mounted a full frontal attack on the barricades with infantry and artillery, and soon the streets were running with blood. By the end of the day, 80 protesters, the vast majority of them impoverished artisans and unskilled workers, members of the new working class, were dead. Frederick Wilhelm had not sanctioned the use of firearms and was appalled by the bloodshed. He appealed to the people and was able to restore calm, ordering his troops to withdraw from Berlin and leaving the city in the hands of the revolutionaries. However, serious divisions broke out between moderate liberals and hardline Democrats, leading to more violence. The events of 1848 had shaken the political establishment of Europe to its foundations. Rulers across the continent had been pressurised into abdicating or to give up large parts of their power. Representative assemblies had sprung up across the continent, and where they had existed already, gained significant new powers. The principle of national self-determination had been asserted in one country after another, and far-reaching social and economic reforms had been put into action. Yet somehow in the second half of the year, the establishment managed to regain control of the situation. And this will be described in the fourth and final part next week. My name is Carl Rylett and you've been listening to History of Europe Key Battles podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not give it a good review on iTunes or wherever you have listened to the podcast. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash history Europe. Today's music was the William Tell Overture by the Italian composer Rossini. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening, and I hope you can join me next time for the next part on the revolutions of 1848. Until then, all the best and goodbye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.